Hey, everybody, thank you for joining us today. We pray that this message reaches you wherever you are at today in whatever situation you are facing. We pray that the Lord ministers to your life. Hang on till the end, and I want to say a couple more things to you before we're done. Amen. Amen. Won't you stand this morning? If you've got your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 17. There's a lot going on in the world today, and I want to talk to you about what that means for us and all that God is doing. Genesis chapter 17, we're going to read eight verses of Scripture. I want to talk to you this morning from this topic, the God of covenants, the God of covenants. Genesis chapter 17, beginning with verse 1. Are you ready to receive the word of the Lord today? Amen. Amen. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession and I will be their God. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word today. Thank you for your word that it's alive and powerful. And Father, today I thank you that you're a God of covenant. And Father, I thank you today for all that you're doing throughout the earth. I thank you that, Father, I believe the glory that you're revealing in the earth today is something that's going to continue to change hearts and lives. We're believing for revival to come throughout this world. So, Father, right now, as we understand what it means to be in covenant relationship with you, we just thank you for this time together. Give us the eyes to not only see what you're doing right now, but, Father, help us to be like the sons of Issachar that understood the times and help us to see what you're doing in and through the body of Christ on earth as it is in heaven. So we thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name we pray, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we ask all these things, and all God's people together said, amen. Turn around and high-five somebody and say, I'm glad you get to sit by me, and you may be seated. When I was growing up as, as a child, um, I was an only child. I say when I was growing up because my mom passed away about eight years ago. My dad remarried. I've got three stepsisters now, so I always feel bad when I say I'm an only child. Because I do have three stepsisters. I live in North Carolina. I don't see them very often. Uh, one of them I've only seen once. So, um, but, I, so I, but I grew up an only child and always wanted a brother, a sibling. Matter of fact, my parents tell me I would pray for a sibling every single night until... I finally asked my dad, I asked my dad, if, you, if I have a sibling, will you love them as much as you love me? And when my dad said yes, I never prayed for a sibling again. I was good with having all the love and not sharing that. But I had a best friend growing up by the name of Jason. 
And my best friend named Jason and I decided one day, at least I kind of decided this because I watched a lot of cowboy and western shows growing up. I decided we, I wanted us to be blood brothers. And you understand to be blood brothers, you know, in, in, in the movies, they would cut themselves and they would put their blood together and they would mix that and become blood brothers. So one day we're playing outside, I fall down, I scrape my knee, I start bleeding everywhere and it dawns on me, now's a great time to become blood brothers. <laughs> True story. So my friend Jason, I could always talk him into a lot of things. I said, if you cut yourself right now, then we can be blood brothers. Jason, a year younger than me, a little gullible, was willing to do this. And he cuts himself, he puts his wrist on my knee, and in that moment we became blood brothers. I tell you that story because today I want to talk to you about the subject of covenants. And in the, the Old Testament, the word covenant literally meant the cutting. The cutting. It meant like blood. It meant a sacrifice. And today, there's three things about covenants I want you to know. Number one, I believe that God is a covenant-making God. He is a covenant-making God. God takes covenant very seriously. To God, covenant is everything. Covenant is not a contract that we give up on whenever we're done and tired with it. To God, a covenant is something that is lasting and important. You see this in the Old Testament in several ways. We'll get into these covenants, but you see it through the life of David. David makes a covenant with Jonathan. And all of a sudden, Saul, who has been chasing David, trying to kill him, Saul and Jonathan die. But eventually David said, is there anybody left of the household of Saul that I can show my favor on, that I can bless? And they say, yes, there's Mephibosheth. Here's the thing, Saul had tried to kill him. And, and the truth is, in that day and age, whenever a king died, you killed all their descendants because you didn't want any of them to say, I have a rightful place on the throne. But David blesses Mephibosheth and gives him favor, not just because... Because of the fact that he was Saul's grandson, but because David was in covenant relationship with Jonathan. And because of that covenant, he honors the covenant and he blesses Mephibosheth. So to God, covenant is very important. Stick with me. I want to teach you some things today. There's five covenants in the Bible that are important. Five covenants. Everybody say five. five. The first covenant God makes with Noah. And it's the covenant after God floods the earth. All of a sudden Noah gets off the ark. The Bible says he builds an altar there and he worships God. And in that moment God makes a covenant with Noah and he says no longer will I ever flood the earth again or destroy the earth again. We understand water comes and there are times the areas are flooding. But God makes a covenant promise I will never destroy the earth again by flooding. That was the first covenant. The second covenant is what I just read to you a moment ago. It is the Abrahamic covenant. God God comes to Abram and he promises him two things. I'll say more about this in my message, but he says two things to him. Abram, I promise you a people and a place. A people and a place. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, as the sand in the sea. This is the covenant, Abraham, I am making with you. And it is about a people and it is about a place. The third covenant that is made is called the Mosaic Covenant. In the Mosaic Covenant, it was really about the ritual of, of sacrifice and it was about the law. And God says this, hey, here's my promise. If you will sacrifice an animal, I will roll your sins back for a year. And also, if you will follow these commandments, I will bless you. If you will follow the commandments that I've given you, blessed will you be coming and going. Blessed will you be in the field. Blessed will you be in the city. He said all these blessings will rest upon you if you follow my commandments. That is the Mosaic Covenant. Number four is the Davidic Covenant. 
And David comes to God and he says, God, I love your presence so much. I want you to, I want to build a tabernacle, a temple. I want to build a temple, a house where your presence can live permanently. And God tells David, David, I I love what you're wanting to do, but it won't happen through you. It'll happen a generation after you. Solomon, your son, will make this happen. But because of your heart, I am going to establish your throne forever. And David, I am going to establish your throne forever and ever. And God promises David that covenant and the fourth covenant in the Bible. The fifth covenant is the new covenant. The new covenant is prophesied by Jeremiah. Jeremiah says one day there is a new covenant coming. And in the new covenant no longer will God write his law on tablets of stone. But now he will write it on people's hearts. I am going to give you a new covenant. And Jeremiah prophesies that and Jesus comes on the scene. And the reason this is important is because this reason. There is a theology that is going around right now in the world that is saying that guess what? All the covenants that God made are now obsolete. Those covenants don't matter. The only covenant that matters is the new covenant. They get that from from Hebrews chapter 8, where Hebrews chapter 8 does say, in chapter 8, it does say the old covenant is obsolete. But here's the problem with that. That is not talking about all four of the previous covenants. That is talking about one covenant. It is talking about the Mosaic covenant. Stick with me. I'm going somewhere with this. It is talking about the Mosaic covenant. And in, in Hebrews chapter 8, it is talking about the high priest. And the reason the writer of Hebrews writes this is to say this, no longer do we have to sacrifice an animal, no longer do we have to go to a high priest for our sins to be forgiven, but Jesus came to be the spotless lamb, the lamb slain before the foundations of the world. And because of that, you no longer have to go to the high priest. That is obsolete because now I go straight to Jesus and his blood is what cleanses me. His blood is what redeems me. His blood has made a way for me to have everlasting life. And because of that, now we have a new covenant based on better promises. But here's the problem with this theology. When you get your theology from one verse of Scripture or one portion of Scripture, instead of reading God's Scripture as a whole, you can get the wrong kind of theology. Because here's the thing, not only is the God a covenant-making God, but number two, He is a covenant-keeping God. And the reason that's important for two reasons. Number one, because of what is happening in the earth right now. And then number two, I'll tell you about your life in a moment. Let me get to this this morning. Are you still with me? Say amen. amen. The reason this is important is because what is happening. God tells Abraham, He says, Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And Abraham's looking around and saying, God, I know you're smart and I love you and all, but I ain't got no kids. This is going to kind of be hard to do. And by the way, I'm 99 years old. No offense if anybody's close to that age. I always wonder, the older I get, I wonder what old is. I used to think when I was a kid, old was my age right now. But I think we can all agree 99's old, okay? Like, I don't, we can all agree to that fact. He's old, 99 years old. And he says, God says, you're going to have a child. And the Bible says that eventually when he has Isaac, they name him Isaac because it means laughter. Because they laughed at God when he said it. But God promises him, Abraham, you're going to have a kid. And what does Abraham do in the meantime? Abraham decides, God, I trust your word. I don't trust your timing. God, I trust what you say. 
But you know what? You're so busy running the universe, you forgot about that promise you gave me. And so Abraham, all of a sudden, Sarah comes to him and says, Abraham, why don't you go sleep with my concubine, um, Hagar? Why don't you come sleep with her and let's see what happens? I still don't understand that part of the story. It's goofy and crazy. But Abraham says, yes. That means he does it before she changes her mind, okay? <laughs> That's what the word in the Hebrew means. And all of a sudden, out of that relationship doesn't come the son of promise. It comes the son of the flesh. Ishmael is born. And the reason thousands of years later we are still fighting over in that part of the world is because Abraham could not wait on God's promise. And instead, he produced, don't tell me waiting on God is not important. Because if you rush things and get things out of order, you will produce a promise of the flesh, a son of the flesh, that will mess with the son of the promise God has given you. And you will try to do things your way. And Abraham produces Ishmael. And when he does, he produces the son of the flesh instead of the son of the promise. And to this day, they are still fighting and warring, and it's on our news right now because of what Abraham did thousands of years ago. But here's why this is important, because there's some people that are saying right now, it's called replacement theology. And replacement theology says that Israel, that the church is the new Israel. That we don't, that Israel is obsolete. That God says that now Israel doesn't matter. My people don't matter because the church and Christians have taken the place of Israel. And listen to me, I do believe the church is important. I do believe that God meant from the beginning of time for there to be a church. I believe God predestined that. I do believe the church is how we get the, the news to the world that we serve a God that is risen. But listen to me, God has not replaced Israel. God has not replaced his chosen people because there is a word. I'm from Mississippi. I am not the sharpest crayon in the box, okay? And sometimes I don't get everything, but there's a word in there that matters, and it's the word everlasting. And last time I checked, the word everlasting means there will be no end. And what God promises Abraham is this. There is an everlasting covenant. It is a covenant that will not end. And you, have, you are an everlasting people, and you will have everlasting possession of the land that I have given you. And so what God tells Abraham is, I am a covenant-keeping God. Abraham, I promise you this, that one of these days, God's gonna, I'm going to give you a people, and I'm going to give you a place, and it will be your possession forever because of that. Amen? Here's what God says. Here's what Paul says in Romans. This is why we don't get our theology from one passage of Scripture. Because in Romans 9, 10, and 11, Paul, the apostle, addresses all of this. And he says, has God forsaken his chosen people? Has God cast out Israel? And he says, certainly not. Here's what Paul says, that God is using the Gentiles. I'm so glad that I'm grafted in. We are not second-class citizens. We have been grafted in, and I'm so glad of that. But listen, God has not forgotten about his chosen people, the Jewish people. And what Paul is saying is this, has God cast them out? No, but God allowed the Gentiles to receive salvation, to provoke the Jews to jealousy so that they could see what God was doing and say, I want to be a part of that. Listen to me. I believe there is a day coming that the Jewish people will turn and be saved. Is Israel perfect? No. Do they do everything I want them to do all the time? No. But I can tell you this. I stand with Israel and I stand with God's holy people because you know what? God promised Abraham that a long time ago. And one of these days, the Jewish people are going to turn to Jesus. The law will not save them. What's going to save them is the same thing that saved 
saved me and you. It is the precious blood of the Lamb. They're going to realize Jesus is Messiah, and they're going to turn to him. And you know what? We long for that day. We look for that day. But until that day comes, we are called, number one, to pray for the peace. Psalm 122.6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for the peace of Israel. We pray that God, that for God's chosen people, for the blinders to come off. But then number two, we stand with Israel. You know why? Because God says, I will bless those that bless Israel. Paul says this, it's to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. And I believe that God has a chosen people that he set aside and that we are called to stand with them. We are called to bless them. We are called to pray with them. And once again, does everything happen over there the way I want it to happen? No, but I can tell you this, that in the midst of violence, in the midst of everything going on, we stand with Israel and all the things coming out of the media trying to destroy them. The enemy has always tried to destroy his, his chosen people from the beginning of time. There's three names that come to mind in my mind when I think about that. The interesting thing, they all start with the letter H. The first one is Haman. He is, he's in the book of Esther. What happens? He wants to destroy Esther and Mordecai and, and the Jewish people. But Esther and Mordecai stand up. Esther says, God, Mordecai tells Esther, God has brought you here for such a time as this. And they stand up. And the very gallows that Haman has put up to kill Mordecai are the things that him and his sons hang on because he was trying to destroy God's chosen people. The second name is Hitler that comes to my mind. And Hitler thinks, you know what? I know what the race of of humanity should be like. I am going to destroy the Jewish people and I'm going to create the, the, the super race of humans that I think should exist. And, he, and the Holocaust unfolds. But I'm so glad that God can use people on this earth to, to liberate an army and say, you know what, we're not going to live with these atro atrocities any longer. And I'm so glad that the Allies won and that Hitler was defeated. And because of that, God's Jewish, God's holy people were not wiped off this planet. Amen? And the third word is the word Hamas. The word Hamas is actually found in the Old Testament. It's spelled differently, but it's found in Genesis chapter 6. In Genesis chapter 6 verse 11, it says, in the days of Noah, there was violence. And the word violence is the word Hamas. It's spelled C-H-A, but when you say it in Hebrew, it says Hamas. The word Hamas literally means violence, or it means to try to go overtake. It means to use force, excessive force to overtake. And now we have a group of people that are using excessive force to overtake. Hamas is there now and they are fighting against God's chosen people because the enemy from day one has always wanted to destroy what God has called out. Always wanted to destroy what God had set apart. And I'm telling you this, we stand with Israel. We do not allow, we were not going to allow people to try to destroy God's chosen people or place. And one of these days, I look forward to the day that we worship in heaven together, Jew and Gentile, because they come to know Jesus. Every nation is going to gather in heaven every tribe and every tongue but until then we believe that God is a covenant keeping God and if God did it then and he promised it then he is still keeping his covenant right now to a thousand generations amen and the second reason this is important is this because if God doesn't keep his covenants then who's to say God's going to keep his covenant with you if God is not a God of his word then how can we count on anything? 
If God is not a God that comes through when we believe he, he's going to come through, then how can we put our hope in anything? But I'm telling you this, that God has never failed me. There are times in my life things haven't gone the way I wanted, but it doesn't mean God's not good. God is a covenant-keeping God. He will keep his covenant from generation to generation to generation. And what I love about what God tells Abraham is this. Abraham, your name's Abram, but I'm going to change it to Abraham because you're the father of many nations. And you know what? I am going to do in that generation, the generations to come, what I want. Listen to me. God is moving in this generation. I'm glad he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm glad he's the God of the past. But I can tell you this. I don't just serve some dead religion that used to matter 2,000 years ago, but I serve a God that is moving right now, and his promises are still true right now. You know what? I'm so glad I can hang my hat on the fact that God's not going to destroy the earth by water again. The rains may come, but I have a promise. He's never going to flood the entire earth again. I'm so glad that I realize now because of Jesus, his sacrifice, that I have access to the Holy of Holies and the Mosaic Covenant. You know what? Now I have access because of what God promised a long time ago. Now the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, has been sacrificed for me and you. And now I'm not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold and the blood of animals, but I have been redeemed with the precious blood of the Lamb, the Lamb slain before the foundations of the earth. Amen. And I'm so glad that the Davidic covenant is still there. You know why? Because this unfolds in Revelation chapter 5. You don't think covenant matters? In Revelation chapter 5, John the Apostle is sitting there. And John the Revelator sees a, a, a scroll that needs to be opened and nobody can open it. And he begins to weep. And he begins to say, you know what? I don't know what we're going to do because all of a sudden we got this scroll, but it can't be opened. I don't know what's going to happen. And all of a sudden the angel speaks to John the Revelator. And the angel says, don't you weep for the lion of the tribe of Judah. Why does that matter? Because David came from the tribe of Judah. And what God said is this. You know what, David? I'm going to establish you, your descendants. I'm going to establish the tribe of Judah forever and ever and ever. And on the throne right now, the, the, the angel tells John, he says, John, don't you worry because the lion of the tribe of Judah, he has prevailed. He can open up the scroll. He is found worthy. And I'm telling you here today, we can serve God. We can trust him today because we know that the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. And that covenant is still in existence. Amen. And in the fifth covenant, I'm so glad that, yes, that the promises of God are both yes and amen. And I'm glad that my life, my, my Christianity is not based on my works. It's not based on my goodness. It is based on the fact that Jesus paid the price 2,000 years ago and that that covenant is still intact forever. And because of that, when he says it is finished, he meant everything was paid for. My healing's paid for. My deliverance is paid for. My freedom is paid for. My sins have been paid for. They are under the blood. And because of that now, I have redemption because the new covenant is still intact today. Amen? So not only is he a covenant-making God and a covenant-keeping God, but number three, he is a covenant-redeeming God. Look at this verse in, in Timothy. I love this. Second Timothy, Paul writes and he says this, If we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. 
if we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. In other words, this, God made a covenant. Wednesday night I talked about boundaries. And I just said this about it, and I want to, it ties in here. But we asked the question, can God do anything? And don't answer that because some of you would say, yes, he's God. You're right, he can, but he actually can't do anything because he put a boundary up. God said, I cannot lie. That was a boundary God made. So God cannot lie. He's God, he can do whatever he wants, but he cannot lie. Because he made that boundary, and he said, I make a covenant that I cannot lie, and I will not lie. And because of that, that's now who God is. I'm the God that doesn't change. And what Paul, what Paul says here is this, when we are faithless, he is faithful. That whenever we are faithless, he, because why? Because God cannot deny himself. He makes a covenant with us. So here's the thing. You can walk away from it. You can say, God, I'm tired of it. God, I don't like the way things are going. I think I'm going to walk away for a while. But you know what God does? He keeps the covenant with you because just because you walk away doesn't mean he walks away. He is a faithful God. He never gives up on us, and he never quits. There's a story I told this years ago, but there's a story about a man named Roger Sims. And Roger Sims was getting out of the military, out of the Army. And these are the days when you had to hitchhike places if you didn't have a car. And Roger Sims is hitchhiking home, got his Army uniform on got his backpack he's been carrying it's so heavy he's just ready to get out of this uniform for one final time and just get home and rest he's hitchhiking and all of a sudden this nice beautiful car pulls up this nice dressed man is in the front seat and he says are you going home he said yes sir he said hop in so he jumps in and he says my name's Roger he said well he said if you're headed to Chicago the, the driver says if you're headed to Chicago you're in luck and Roger said well I'm heading just a little bit from there um, before you get there is where, where I live. And the guy said, I'll take you to your house. And the guy said, my name's Mr. Hanover. And Roger said, do you live in Chicago? He said, well, I actually have a business there. It's called Hanover Enterprises in Chicago. And hands him a business card. They begin to ride down the road just talking. And Roger, who's a Christian, gets this sense that I need to witness to Mr. Hanover. But he's nervous. I mean, he's thinking, you know, this man's just giving me a ride somewhere. He's being nice. I mean, I don't want to offend him or upset him. But he just couldn't shake the thought, I've got to tell Mr. Hanover about Jesus. So finally he waits, and he's about 30 minutes from their destination, his house. And he recognizes now's the time. So he begins to tell Mr. Hanover, he goes, sir, I want to tell you about Jesus. And he unfolds the gospel plan to him and tells him about Jesus' forgiveness and all of these things. And all of a sudden, the moment Roger is done, Mr. Hanover pulls over to the side of the road. Roger thought, great. I'm going to have to hitchhike home the rest of the way. This man's mad at me. He's letting me out. And he pulls over to the side of the road, and he says, Roger, will you lead me in the sinner's prayer? And on the side of the road right there, Roger leads Mr. Hanover in the sinner's prayer. And they go on. Mr. Hanover drops him off at his house. Five years pass. And Roger had thought about it from time to time. But one day, by this time, he's gotten married. He has a child. He's got a family. And he's got to go to Chicago for training. And he opens his suitcase, and he's going through things. And he finds Mr. Hanover's business card from five years earlier. And he thinks, you know, i got some free time while I'm in Chicago. I don't have a whole lot to do. I'm going to go see this man and see how his life is doing since I talked to him last. So he shows up. And he gets the business card, gets the address, shows up there, and sure enough, it says Hanover Enterprises over the door. He walks in and talks to a lady at the front desk and says, could I please see Mr. Hanover? And she said, well, Mr. you can't see Mr. Hanover, but you can see Mrs. Hanover. 
Okay, so she calls him in. He sits down with Mrs. Hanover, and, and, and he said, Mrs. Hanover, I just want you to know that I knew your husband, Roger. And she said, well, how would you know him? He said, well, one night I'm walking home, just left the Army, got my back, my pack and everything. He sees me. He pulls over to the side of the road and gives me a ride home. And I've never forgot him. I just wanted to come say thank you for his kindness and talk to him about that. And she said, can you tell me the date that happened? He said, yeah, I'll never forget the date, May 7th. And she said, did anything happen in the car ride, anything specific you talked about? And he's thinking, Lord help, I didn't want to talk to her about witnessing to him because I don't know what kind of life he's lived. I don't know if he came back. I wasn't going to mention that. And he said, well, to be honest, yes. Um, I witnessed to him about Jesus. And he pulled over to the side of the road. He gave his heart to the Lord. And all of a sudden, this prim and proper lady began to uncontrollably sob. She began to weep and to sob. And when she finally composed herself, she said, I'm sorry. And he said, well, no, listen, is he here so I can at least talk to him about what God did in his life? She said, no, he's not. And he said, well, is there somewhere I can, I can meet him? She said, no, he's dead. And Roger said, he's dead? When did he die? She said, on May after he let you out I didn't know anything about that but he had a car wreck on the way home and he never made it home and she said the reason I'm crying is because I prayed years for my husband to come to know the Lord and she said I'll be honest I quit serving God five years ago because I thought God did not keep his promise and I thought my husband was not saved and now you are telling me that God kept his word. And I want to tell you today, God is a covenant-making God, and He's a covenant-keeping God, and He is a covenant-redeeming God. That whenever you feel like you've walked away, God says there is no place you can go. David said it in the Psalms. You can flee from me all you want, but if you go to the heavens, behold, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I go to the uttermost parts of the earth still there I will find you because you can never outrun the goodness and the faithfulness of God why does it matter what is happening in Israel today I understand it matters for end times we serve a soon coming king I don't know when it's going to happen but I, we, we watch for what God's doing and we, I understand that but listen to me it is not just because of what's in the future I believe that but what matters in the earth right now it matters in your life because you are going through something and you can bank on the fact that if God promised Abraham and he fulfilled it, if God promised David and he fulfilled it, if God promised Noah and Moses and he fulfilled it, then who are you? Listen, you are, he is no respecter of persons. And God will give you the covenant he has promised you. And the same God that kept the covenant with them is the same God that is keeping his covenant with you. And you say, well, preacher... You don't know what I did last night. You don't know how big God is. And listen to me, no matter how far you run, you can never outrun the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God. In a few minutes, we're going to pray for Israel because we do stand with them and we pray for them. Before that, I believe there's some people today that need to make some decisions. I want you to stand where you're at right now. Just close your eyes, bow your heads. I want to pray for you right where you're at today.
Hey everybody, thank you so much. We are so honored that you chose to join us today for this message. And our prayer is for you and your family that you would be uplifted and encouraged. If today you receive Christ or if you would like to give to the vision of Landmark Church, if you would go to our website, www.landmarkchurchok.com, there's more information there, how you can do all of that. And also if you have a prayer request, please let us know how we can be praying for you guys. We love you and hope you have a blessed time.